All right, happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we're exploring the landscape of learning tech while cutting through the fluff, honestly, to help you do digital right. And uh, today I'm joined by Dean Pache and Tom Branning, and they're from Biz Library, and we're talking about their multi-purpose digital learning solution. We'll have a great conversation around that. Uh, if you're joining us live, go ahead, give us a thumbs up, share the post, tag in somebody who would benefit from the conversation, and while you're at it, why don't you go ahead and comment in, tell us where you're joining from. I'm joining from Waukesha, Wisconsin, and believe it or not, even though it looks nice out there with the sun, it was snowing this morning. I'm very disappointed. Um, it's supposed to get warmer. I really hope it does so that the kids can go outside. But how about you, Dean? Where are you, where are you joining from? I'm joining you from Jupiter, Florida, and it is certainly, most certainly not snowing here. Okay. okay. I was going to say, if it was snowing there, that would be a little bit terrifying, especially this time of year. How about you, Tom? Uh, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, you know we're, we're lucky enough not to deal with the snow either. So uh, it, uh, it's a little drizzly and dreary, but you know, not not snowing. So there's okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Well. All right. Is it, my question to you, Tom, though, is weather-wise, is it at least been relatively consistent, or have you been dealing with what I've been dealing with up here, where one day it's it's 70, then the next day it's 40? You know, that's that's St. Louis weather. Actually, we we make the jokes here that, you know, St. Louis has all four seasons, sometimes within like a span of hours. Okay. And so, um, you know, we've we've been it's been pretty consistent here. You know, it's been the 60s, 70s okay. uh, for the most part. So not too bad. Able to get the kids out to run around a little bit. So all that's right. what matters. Well, and Dean, is it true that what they say about Florida where, you know, if the weather's bad, just wait 15 minutes? Absolutely. <laughs> but it, it very it, it's not very. It's not varying nearly as much as what you're seeing up north, but uh, okay. you know it might be 75 or 85, but okay. it's not going to be much. <laughs> Either way, still warm rain. and nice. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's varying degrees of warm. It rains right. periodically, but maybe for only uh, 30 minutes or so. Okay, okay, but you can't go to the beach right now, so there's not a whole lot you can do with that. That's true. <laughs> true. All right, so before we get into it, right, and none of us have practiced this is a completely different bend on the on the icebreaker thing so for the audience this is going to be a little bit of a different interaction that i'm going to ask from you but what we're going to do <laughs> is we're going to do our best elephant impression okay so you're going to get to see all of us do our best elephant impression and you have to rate it on a scale of one to ten so the rules were we couldn't practice this uh and tom's question was could, can we do we have to get into like do we have to actually act like an elephant or is it just the noise and i said that's up to you so i said i would go first so let's see let's see how we can do this okay that was terrible i think that was terrible but who's going that pretty good oh all right well we'll see, we'll see what the audience thinks all right yeah. You know, I'm happy to go next. I'll, I'll, I'll see it, Tom. Unless, see it, unless you want it. Um, here we go. <laughs> I, I can't do it either. You know, you I watch the cartoons with the kids, and they say "pawoo," and I've never heard an elephant say "pawoo," but I think I'm going with "pawoo." Okay, okay, you're gonna the the air blowing out of your mouth. You're just gonna pass on that and "pawoo." Okay, yeah. all right, Dean. <laughs> I sound like a pterodactyl, I think, actually. All right. You know, that I have to say that was three very different, right? I was thinking we were all going to just try the same thing and have it go just terribly south. 
creativity. I like it. I like it. So we'll see. I'll, I'll let you know what the results are of the comments. People are probably like, if they just joined that right now, they're like, what on earth is going on? But um, yeah, that was, that was fun. Renee says, well done to all of us. So I guess, uh, I guess we'll just, everybody gets points on that one. Um, all right. Well, let's, <laughs> let's get into this a little bit. Um, and let's talk a little bit about, so you're from Biz Library. Um, for people who may not be familiar with it or, you know, have maybe heard of it, seen it kind of in the space, how do you describe when people say, what is Biz Library? How do you describe it? And I guess, Dean, you know, as, as the CEO and, and kind of the founder of it, how, how do you, how do you tell people what it is? Well, I think it's an, it's a, it's sometimes difficult to describe in just a few words, but generally we are uh, a company's online learning provider. Uh, we have a library of content, um, about 8,000 different titles covering all different areas of business and, and compliance and, and all kinds of areas that, that our clients uh, need to improve the performance of their people. We also have a platform, an LMS platform to deliver and manage that content as well as other uh, learning that they're doing. Um, so a typical client is someone who's got maybe uh, 100 to 2,500 employees. Okay. Um, we certainly have some enterprise level clients as well, but um, our primary client is a, kind of an SMB type of business that is looking for a partner to help them deliver online learning to their employees. Okay, got it. And Tom, do you want to add? Any, I'm just curious. You know, you're you're closer to the client side, coming from the business development side. You know, who is that? Who is that kind of target customer that you say this this really is a gap that they have where Biz Library fits in? You know, I think we're the the perfect mix of technology, content, and service and support. Um, yeah. When you look at, you know, I, I come from a background working with channel partnerships, but also just being with Biz Library for a while you know, working with companies who buy content from one place, buy, uh, you know, a system or platform from another place, try to solve business problems, but end up creating integration problems. And so I think we're the perfect mix of an easy button for a library of content that is thoughtfully curated, um, aggregated, and, you know, um, updated frequently. I, I think it's, you know, for those small, mid-sized, you know, uh, organizations, it's a very nice turnkey solution. Okay. Well, and that's as when I first, oops, there we go. Uh, when I first met you and I, and I was familiar with you in the space, just having, you know, done a lot of work in this space, but that was to me, as I looked into kind of the way you market this stuff for some companies, when it comes to this digital learning space, right, they may be on the end of, they've got 9 million different solutions and they're trying to pull them all together. But I see there's almost a maturity curve people are going through and, some people are definitely not in that situation, especially if they're not a big enterprise client with 38 different systems that they're trying to pull together and they may be just starting. And it can be, I can tell you, I've been in those small companies before. It can be overwhelming to feel like, oh, we have to buy a this and a this and a this, and we have to find all this stuff and then figure out how to weave it together. So I can see where, you know, it, it seems to me, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, not that that's your only market, but that's really where you, you're able to connect and really solve solve some big problems for people. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say, you know, we always said that, you know, for our clients, if you want to get started with online learning, all you have to do is upload your employees into the platform and that'll take you about three minutes and then you can begin learning. They, they can begin learning right away. Um, now, we do have a whole different uh, relationship with many of our enterprise clients where they already have an LMS and they're looking for a content solution, uh, something that's a little bit different uh, than what they uh, already have in many cases. 
Um, our content is tends to be five to ten minutes in length, video based with support materials. It's uh, rein, it's reinforced, meaning there's a series of reinforcement boosters that are available to learners after they take the lesson, and they can also customize it. So those are the things that kind of resonate in the in the, in the larger companies. Um, but then we're dealing typically with other other systems. Okay. Um, I think for the mid-sized company or the smaller company that's just getting into online learning, um, they really enjoy that easy button, as Tom said. Yeah. So I'm curious before we get before we go too far, because I think we can dig into all three of those components and actually the the reinforcement and retention component of it. I definitely want to touch on that as well. Um, but before we do, I'm just curious, you know, as you went out there and you obviously there's not there's a lot of tech out there doing some of these different things but what when you were looking at things did you say and it's but you've been around for quite a while did you say hey you know what while we see there's other players out there we we think there's still a gap or there's some real problems that we can solve differently um and that you've kind of found your competitive edge with and i'd be curious on both sides on from both of you yeah i would st i'll start at the beginning and then I'll let tom kind of talk about something you know that he's seeing right now so in the beginning what we were looking to solve, the problem we were looking to solve is that, you know, companies were starting to get interested in digital learning okay. and they didn't know how to do it. And so providing them with a one-stop shop solution. Um, and then the content that was out there was frankly uh, not up to the standards that people were viewing at home. So okay. if I wanted to learn how to tie a bow tie, I was getting a much better uh, less video lesson than I was getting if I wanted to learn you know, how to manage employees. Um, and so um, there was a lot of legacy content that was really old. It was long. It was text and graphics heavy. Um, and so, you know, when we got started, the idea was let's produce short video-based micro learning uh, that people can consume similar to the things that they're looking at on YouTube or other, you know, kind of consumer oriented services. Okay. And then it's continued to grow. So, Tom, you know, how has that continued to grow as you've, you know, continued to be in the market? Yeah, no, you know, I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting being around 23 years, 24 years, you know, as an organization, um, we've we've really changed a lot. You know, we, 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 we're not a startup. But we kind of feel like the older startup on the block. You know, we're always really reinvigorating our, our, our solution. And so, you know, where Dean mentions about the content, I think we jumped into online learning in 2000 or so. You know, we, we partnered with organizations. We had content that we were offering. It was, it was from the same guys that everybody else uses. And, you know, we, we, we found challenges with the results our clients were able to get. You know, they, they didn't like a two-hour course. They didn't like click, 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 click slide, you know. And so, you know, we've really been thoughtful. You know, we've always been a curator and, and an aggregator. But, you know, over the last eight years or so, I think, you know, the, the content that we've developed internally, you know, has really been a differentiator in, in our content library you know, to Dean's point, talk to a lot of clients, a lot of prospects who are just looking for something different than what they've had in the past and, and asking them a few questions, you know, it tends to be they're looking for diversity in content. They're looking for something that's thoughtfully curated. They're looking for, for things that are easy to consume. And, and, you know, I think we really hit the mark and that's really how we've merged, um, you know, changed. I think our, our storyline over the years is, is really, you know, just being very responsive to, to what the clients need and, and want, um, learning doesn't have to be painful. Um, right. You know, it can be a five or 10 minute thing. Uh, yeah. It doesn't have to be three hours with a bunch of clicks. Yeah. Well, and that's, I, I can say from my years in <laughs> this space, I've, I've seen those content libraries, right? I've, I've seen and experienced, I've been on the end user side of it and they're, 
they're painful, right? When it's like, okay, here's, you know, maybe the title catches you. It's a, it's an interesting clickbait. And then you go into it and realize it's 173 slides that you just have to sit and click through with an AI voice that's reading what's on the slide. So let's talk, let's dive into the content piece, because that was one of the things, even when we first were getting ready to go here, uh, there were some components of that, that I, I wasn't even really familiar with, which is, so it's, it's not just, it's a combination of this content that you're pulling from other places. So you're curating it, but you're also producing it, right? So Tom, you talked about the fact there's, you're, you're at the office and there's actually a studio that's actually still today, even with everything going on, producing content. But, but that's right. You know, we have um, we have a production studio here in our office in St. Louis, and we have been, you know, producing things um, over the last month or two. You know, they're just relevant, and timely for our clients. You know, um, you know, things dealing with you know early on in this 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 process. You know, COVID and and you know dealing with stress and anxiety, and you know working remotely, working at home. But you know, we're already producing content dealing with reentry and and trying to help people get back into into the office. And so I think, you know, being able to, being a curator and an aggregator is nice. You know, we, we can't, you can't be everything to everyone. We're not going to be the best IT producer, you know, of content or, or software. You can't, you can't do everything, but I think we're able to really, you know, thoughtfully design and produce things that really are timely for our clients and hit the mark, you know, in a way that, um, that as just an aggregator, you can't do. And in terms of the type of content, you talked a little bit about it, but so what type of content, I mean, what are you producing? You've got a studio. So I, I'm imagining it's not a studio with a bunch of computers with, you know, I won't name e-learning development tools, but e people just churning out, you know, PowerPoint slides. What, what, what does it look like? What does your content look like? Yeah. Dean, do you want to take that? You want me to take that? Yeah, go ahead. Good. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we really gear it around it, it's, we try to provide diversity in the content, first of all, whether it's the presenter or the style, you know, they're not stuffy courses. We're not dealing with people in suits and in a cubicle environment. A lot of it is going to be dealing with presenters, you know, animations in the background. We also do release some animation driven um, content, you know, that's, that's more animation. We have content that deals with role plays. Um, so you're going to see diversity, but I think what pulls it together is it's video driven. Typically we're targeting that five to 10 minute range um, and we refresh and update them often, you know, so we're adding hundreds of titles a month and we're retiring things as they're updated because, you know, just <laughs> being, being an aggregator and producer is not enough. You have to curate and, and you can't just keep throwing stuff at the wall. That's where I was curious. And, and I asked this whenever I talk to people who are in the content space, even though that's not your only space, it's one of the spaces you play in is, you know, how do you how do you manage to know, you know, how do you decide like what content do we need to create? What content has maybe now kind of passed its prime? Like, obviously, if you have a, a COVID-19 course, how to do this in hopefully the relatively near future, you're not going to necessarily need that to be in there. How do you manage to ensure what you have is, is of quality, but also, you know, you know, when it's time for it to retire? Do you have a specific process or what do you how do you manage that? Yeah, our, our curation process is really data-driven. Okay. Um, so every time someone uh, takes a lesson or a course in our platform, we ask them to rate it okay. and comment on it. And so we're paying, we, we pay attention weekly to those ratings and people tell us um, when they think content is past its prime, I guess. You know, I, I mean, I've been in this business for a long, long time, maybe 30 years. And and I can tell you that in the, in the early stages, people would tell you that if you produce a, a program on leadership or management, that it would have a shelf life of eight to 10 years. Um, 
And I can tell you that the average program in our collection is more like two years okay. um, in terms of average date because people want things that are current. Um, and nobody wants to watch, you know, as Tom mentioned, somebody in a, in a 1980s, uh, outfit, you know, or with a, with a bad haircut. Um, although we're all getting bad haircuts. <laughs> uh, at all, I guess. Um, but yeah, so the idea of that constantly refreshing things that is really critical to, you know, the value proposition and how we get those ideas is really also very simple. Um, we have an idea portal that our clients submit ideas to, and we probably produce anywhere from 15 to 20 new lessons each month that are specifically related to those client requests. Okay. Interesting. So, well, and it's funny because that the comment of, right, certain leadership skills or things may have a shelf life of 10 to whatever years. Maybe, maybe the content, right? What you're getting at, the premise of that does, but we've all we've all watched that content where you go, wow, this was produced in in the late 90s or the early 2000s. You know, people were wearing hammer pants, and you're going, well, that's not really, you know, the style. And, and whether or not the principles are the same, people's yeah. reaction to it is, oh, this isn't relevant. Even if it might be relevant, you know, people's reaction to it is is definitely not there. Yeah, they will just discard the message. If they don't believe it's not relevant, if they don't see it as relevant or or current. Okay, so now I've got to ask: Do you do you have your own actors? Do you, uh, Dean? Are you one of the cast of characters? How do you how do you pull all that off? Definitely not. I have a face for radio. They have been have been told so. Uh, we're you, you, I don't do the, a lot of these webcam things generally, but uh, no, we have a, a cadre of experts as well as extra actors that we use. Depends on the topic. Sometimes. We, we use real live, you know, experts um, in some of our content. As Tom mentioned, some of the content is animated with voiceover. Um, and then and then we, ha we have a lot of content where we have our instructional designers and our script writers writing uh, really, really great content that we then put on with uh, with actors and actresses. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wide variety, as Tom mentioned. I think that's really one of the important things that we bring to the table is it all of our content doesn't all look the same. And so if I have a certain preference for style, um, we, you know, as, as, a, as an administrator or a learner, I can find the content that I'm looking for out of that, you know, again, 8,000 plus titles. Okay. Well, and this is one, so I won't use the Netflix for learning analogy because I hate that one, but we talked <laughs> earlier about from a Netflix model from your content standpoint, right? We're, we're seeing this, if you have Netflix or Hulu or honestly even YouTube anymore, right? Original content. You also license things from the outside. What is that breakdown? I mean, how much of your content is yours? How much is from other places? And what do you see in terms of user usage from a distribution standpoint? Tom, you want to handle that one? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've we've really ramped our, our production over the last, you know, five, six uh, years or so. But we, we're, we're really looking at probably about a 25, 75% uh, split, I think about 25% of the library is what we've produced um, with about 75% of it being stuff that we're, you know, aggregating um, from, from different groups. Interestingly though, the utilization is almost reversed. So, because again, we're producing a lot of content that's based on client requests. Um, and, but there, as, as Tom mentioned, 75% of the content is aggregated from third parties because they have unique perspectives. They, they have unique subject matter expertise. Um, whether it's IT skills, desktop computer skills, it frankly, you know, Biz Library isn't going to have a lot to offer 
the world in terms of a new approach to learning Office 365 or something like that, right? Okay. Um, but when it comes to um, an approach to handling things like sexual harassment in the workplace, um, you know, ethics, um, other types of uh, areas, we even have a, a new safety library that's coming out that we think we can do with a, a unique twist um, uh, off of some of the other content that's available. Um, I think that's really where we add value. Similar to what, again, I, I hate that Netflix for learning myself. In fact, we were founded before Netflix. So I always tell people Netflix is the biz library of home entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Put the analogy on its head. No, that's great. Well, and I think what you're getting at, it's something that we have to do on the practitioner side, right? Which is decide what we talked about this before we went live, right? Is the fact that, so right now, a lot of instructional designers or internal teams are, are pushing to maybe create content around how do you manage a remote workforce, things like that. And it's like, well, that exists, right? So let's let's not recreate something that we can easily get to. Let's just leverage that. But where we think our unique spin or the flavor we put on it is unique. So you're actually doing that on the other side and then eliminating the fact that as a customer, I have to go license multiple content sources to try and pull that in, if, if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah, we have a lot of variety, different different ways to approach the same, you know, similar topic. The other thing that I think is really unique about what we're doing right now at Biz Library is a lot of content is easily customizable. So for example, we're, we're releasing this new program, as Tom mentioned, on how to safely re-enter the workplace um, after COVID. And part of that will be Almost all of our clients will be customizing that content with their own unique policies, procedures, contact information, um, you know, safety, uh, uh, you know, because some organizations are going to be obviously taking people's temperature. Others are going to be asking yeah. to wear masks. That's unique. We, we can't produce a, con a piece of content that would apply to every single organization. But what we can do is produce the basic information, allow them to insert their own company specific information into it. And I think. That approach is also, you know, a unique approach in the content world. Okay. Well, so I want to dig into that one a little bit because I, I've seen this on a lot of different ends, right? When you talk to content providers, uh, I've seen there's a, there's a pretty wide range of what you run into. There's either the, it is what it is. We don't customize it. This is how you take it. Then there's the, it's fully customizable, which I don't know that... I, it can be a little bit weird to see how some of those things play out. And then there's some folks that say it's customizable, but when you dig into it, really, you, know, you can slap your logo on, on the front page of it. And you're like, well, that's not really customizable. So how does that work? Because I have to imagine there's no shortage of challenges or, or risks you can run into with people trying to tailor it and, and working and saying, well, that's not quite the way we do it. And you're like, well, that's this part's, you know, the same, this part's, how, how do you manage that? Or how does it work? I mean, both, both, how do you manage it? And two, how does a customer actually do that customization? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I was gonna mention the custom tool there. Uh, as you were talking about your instructional designers, you know, that 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 was something that that peaked up in my mind too. I think, you know, not, there's, there's, there's something to be said for the power of custom creating something, but the speed of off the shelf is, is, you know, what people need nowadays. And so I think with our customization, what you can do is you take, you know, most of our trainings video driven. So, you know, there's a video component, uh, of course, changing a video isn't that easy. We're not going to you know, right. swap a new actor or, or put words in that weren't there, uh, make it look like a bad Kung Fu flick or anything, but you know, we're, we're, uh, maybe a good Kung Fu flick. Um, 
but on the uh, on the other side, you know, they can change the quiz. They can add interactions. You know, our content, we we take content, whether it's something we produce or that we're pulling from our providers, and we layer in our technology stack on it, which includes the ability to you know build in the quiz questions. There are learning interactions. So while you're going through the program, you can call different pop-up questions, interactions, and links throughout it. Um, you know, folks can customize those. They can customize the quiz. They can add their own support materials to it. You know, so talking about policies, procedures, those types of things, they can add documentation to it. Um, you know, to take it a step further, there are times where, you know, there have been things that come up that maybe do require more levels of customization. And we've worked with clients to even, you know, shoot custom videos in the past. Okay. Yeah, I think your point is really important. You can have a 100% customized program. Mm -hmm. There's really rare that is really rare. Okay. Having the program uh, available off the shelf is another end of the spectrum. And in the middle, I think, is having an opportunity to template and customize the program. We have to provide our some direction there. And so we generally say this would be the place to pause the video, insert your specific policy or a question to make sure that they're understanding what's going on here or they can apply it to what's happening in your workplace. Um, so it's not just slapping a, a, a logo on the front uh, uh, at its comments, and you can customize the quiz questions. You can customize, you know, you may something that be so critical that an eighty percent pass percentage is not acceptable. You may want a hundred percent in order to say that this is this person has got this, and and then of course having support materials uh, that are customized to your organization is really important for our clients too. So. Um, we think customization is of an off-the-shelf program is really uh, kind of the best of both worlds, honestly. Yeah. Well, and that's that's where I land. I, I tend to find myself saying, listen, it's not a off-the-shelf or totally custom. I can think of hardly any instances where I've ever gone fully custom with anything. I mean, there's some there are some very specific nuanced things that maybe are very company specific. It might be about your product, things like that, where you go, well, there's not much, I'm not going to find something out there about it. But the, the just straight up off the shelf also doesn't work because it's not right. There is opportunity even to say, hey, this is how it applies to our culture, or this is the way we bring this to life. So I think somewhere in the middle of that, but it's about finding that right balance. And it sounds like, right, you're, you're in the middle there that allows that. And the fact you have your own studio, which you talked about before, does give you the flexibility not that you want everybody calling you going, can we do a custom shoot? Now we've seen Dean on camera. We have, to have a video with Dean talking to us about, about leadership. <laughs> maybe, maybe, the, maybe that request will come through your idea box now, Dean. So keep an eye out. <laughs> so with that, with that, you talked about with enterprise clients, uh, you know, they may, they may have the tech stack to support this stuff but they're integrating the content. Do they just plug that in? How are you seeing them do that? Are they just plugging it in? And Tom, I'll ask this to you. Are they plugging that into their existing ecosystem? And then are they just feeding? Do you have a connector between the two that then pushes the content through? You know, I'll say we, we of course, just like anybody else in the content world, we make our content available to standards. So, you know, folks with their own LMS, you know, can can access our content and SCORM or, or you know, whatever standard they need uh, to load in there. You know, Interestingly, though, I'll say I think, you know, because of we're coming from a different place in the market than a lot of other, you know, LMS providers are technology providers, you know, where we have a large library with thousands of courses 
And, you know, we've always been very big on search and learn, driving self-directed learning and making it easy. We have a lot of data that, you know, that's available in our platform that many other platforms can't even consume. They don't have fields for those things. And so, you know, we also see um, a really popular um, option, you know, lately too, has been, you know, leveraging us as, as a, you know, single sign-on jump off and, you know, leverage the power of the library without the need to actually load in the library. Okay. Uh, and, you know, pass data back to folks if they want it, you know, having kind of a consumer grade catalog for self-directed learning. Okay. Got it. So it's, so people, it has the potential, you can't, and that was one of the other things, because I've seen both sides of it where we have our custom content, but you're responsible for loading it all into your LMS, which from an administration standpoint can be a bit overwhelming, but sometimes you may want to do that because you actually want it natively. And other times you may want to connect and bounce out for the data standpoint. So you have the flexibility to do both. Yeah. And a lot of our clients do both. So the, the, as Tom mentioned, they'll use our LXP, our learning experience platform for, you know, discovery type learning okay. for their employees. But for the assigned learning or the learning paths that are curriculums that they create, they they export our content, import it into their to their native platform, and then use their standard uh, LMS functionality there to assign that content uh, as part of a learning path or a learning curriculum for someone. Okay. Okay. So I've got to ask this one, Tom. Really, on on your end. One of the things that I've seen throughout the years that is just a, a client expectation is how do you how have you worked with people? Because sometimes people think, hey, if I buy this content library and and plug it in, you know, I'm, I'm building a learning culture where, where everybody's just going to be learning and developing and it's going to be amazing and and all that. And I think sometimes the providers get a bad rap, like, well, your thing didn't work. But I'm curious, how do you work with people on that expectation of yeah, having content's important. Having a digital learning experience is great, but by itself is not going to to cut it. Yeah, no, you know we have um, we have always been a very customer focused organization. I think you know we were we were doing and talking customer and client success you know before it became a buzzword. But I think you know at the end of the day, you have clients who who have business problems they're trying to solve, and they they sometimes you'll be like, oh, well, we got the content, so we're good. And I think one of the things we find really, really critical is, is holding their hand as much as they'll let us. You know, we, we want to be involved in understanding what those business problems and challenges they're facing are. Um, you know, we have a lot of great knowledge on our content library, on how it can be used. And so you know, we want to help be a part of the strategic delivery of that. We want to be aligned to what they're trying to solve um, to really help drive those results. And so I think, you know, the more that um, a client will let us help them you know, and not try to do it all on their own, you know, the more successful they are. We have a pretty, we have a very in-depth client scoring model. It looks at a variety of different, um, you know, metrics from a client standpoint, you know, how they engage, what their utilization looks like. Um, and though I think being able to really just be close to the pulse of what they're trying to do is is critical. Okay. And, you know, I'll let you. Yeah, I would, the only thing I would add there is every client has a dedicated client success manager. And we also have a content concierge service that helps people because having 8,000 titles in a collection is great, but it's also a challenge. It can feel overwhelming. Exactly. So um, a lot, I think last month alone, we completed almost 200 content mapping projects for our clients um, where we were mapping content to their business challenge or to their uh, a core a competency that a base uh, problem that they were trying to solve uh, or specific job roles that we helped them develop 
playlists for, and uh, that were special and custom, or you know, specialized and custom for them. So I think that concept of the dedicated client success manager, who's your advocate, who wants to make sure that you get a return on this investment and help you be, you know, as your partner, and then. The behind the scenes, we have our content experts that are helping our clients to curate and and uh, being that content concierge. Okay, I think going back to your earlier comment that you know Netflix learned from Biz Library, maybe they could take that approach too. If Netflix is watching, you could take that approach because I wouldn't mind somebody saying more because their AI algorithm, I can tell you right now, is it's not the best at predicting what shows my wife and I will watch, especially when the kids dominate. You know, I, I'm sorry, I'm not a big fan of Toyo the Little Bus, even though <laughs> even though that's on Netflix a lot. That's not necessarily where I want to spend my time once the kids go to bed. But on that, because when I when I've talked to you, when I've been around your website, when I've just explored some of the conversations, the customer success piece is is definitely at the forefront, right? Of what you sh- showcase as part of your strategy. So obviously, that's you talked a little bit about it, but tell. Talk a little bit more about how that was such an important component as you establish this and what that looks like. You mentioned there's a customer success, but help me understand that one a little bit more. You can do it twofold if you want, Dean, from kind of the foundation of, of yeah. where it came from. And then Tom, what does that look like you know, to a customer? Yeah, that's probably the best way to, to describe it. So at the highest level, you know, we've known for a long, long time, having had a large library of content for 20 years, that if... Just, just building it, they will not come. And so we had to help our clients market this, you know, the learning uh, originally. Now, learning cultures are a bit more mature and developed within organizations. I think uh, younger employees have come into the workforce and they expect uh, access to learning content um, as a part of, of what they're doing on a daily basis. So um, the client success model was just set up to really have someone who is responsible for helping you through this maze um, and how to create a program that's successful. So we know, you know, we have clients that are doing really, really well, and we have clients that don't know really what, you know, where to get started and how to get going. And so we share best practices with those clients at a high level. And so Tom, I'll let you kind of describe how that works on a, on a kind of a more practical level. Yeah, I think, you know, from, from the standpoint of working with our clients, you know, we, we want to have, timely conversations. I mean, whether it's monthly or quarterly conversation to understand what's going on, what sort of things are working on. Um, but I, I think, you know, to Dean's point, like the best practices, we have clients with different, different levels of understanding, you know, different, different, different ability in the organization, you know, some, some might sit at a different table uh, in, you know, than others. And so you know, I think also it's not just like functionally talking to them every day about the goals that they're trying to challenge, they're trying to solve um, the problems they're trying to solve, but also really, you know, engaging other parts of the organization. So the library that covers as wide of a, of a net and casts as wide of a net as we do, we often help folks with risk mitigation. So from a compliance and a risk management and safety standpoint, you know, we, we often help them with onboarding. We often help them with, you know, improving their managers or, or personal career development. And so I think it's, it's also just probing questions about other things that they're doing or not doing um, and, and who's involved with that. And, and it is, you know, very much, we are very much invested in their success. And so we want to make sure that they're getting the most value out of it that they can. And, and really it's just, you know, trying to understand as much as we can about their program and, and everybody involved and, you know, making the best recommendations that we can. And to that point, you know, you asked earlier about of our content versus other content, uh, the more traditional content. What we saw 
course of the last 15 years is that old days, legacy library were, you know, employees practicing three, four courses a year. Uh, very little engagement in the in learning content. Um, our typical client is like six, seven lessons per month. So it's like 12 to 15 acts what, what had been happening in the past. So that's the result of, of really engaging with the learning administrators, the, the learning and development teams, the HR people uh, on a client side and helping them market learning, uh, making sure that people are aware of what's available to them, making sure that they can create the curriculums that they need to solve the problems that they're, they're looking to solve. Okay. And that, so there's two things that, that you hit on that I think are important. One is what you talked about. So, so one, in terms of the engagement piece, I, I think in addition to our need to do a better job of telling people in marketing, which I think we struggle with sometimes, right? We, we struggle with doing that, which we need to get better because the reality is there's a different expectation from employees today. There is a much different expectation than there was before uh, in terms of what's available to them. I think, you know, like you mentioned before, back in the day, people might've gone through training three or four times a year. They took their annual course and, and that was what they knew. That's what they knew their organization did. And that was really the expectation they had versus now going back to this kind of culture of development. People have a higher expectation of us in L and D and our organizations to say, well, what are you doing for me? You know, how are, how are you actually going to help me move forward? And that's where we we not only need to have the right content, but we need to have the right strategy to make sure people are aware of that and are doing it. And I think what you're talking about is something that I will just say is not always the case when it comes to things, right? There's there's no shortage of uh, times where you you get something, you sign on the dotted line, and then you're kind of left on your own, which for some people works, right? If you've been in this space and you know what you're doing and you don't really necessarily need that guidance, so be it. But I would say a large majority, well, you tell me, Tom, but I would say what I, what I know just from the, the circles I run in is a lot of people are not in that position where they've got it all figured out. They know what they need to do and they just need to buy something and then they've got the execution strategy. But I'm curious what you're seeing, Tom. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just off. You know, I think I think a lot of times people when they're going through a buying cycle or a purchasing process, they have blinders on to a very specific thing they're trying to trying to focus on. And I think, you know, with a library like ours that covers such a wide range of needs, it is really important. You talk about kind of the strategy of engaging the workforce now, you know, I think having both a push and a pull strategy is important. And that's one of the things that we do really well. You're pushing content to people, but, you know, trying to create that culture where they go out and they look for learning and they search for learning when they need it is 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 something that our library really helps them to uh, to drive I think that the self-directed learning component of that okay so on the shifting gears a little bit right so we've talked about the content piece we've talked about the client success I'm curious on the the actual platform you use the word learning experience platform which is a very diluted term right now in the space so I'm curious you know when you say right we've kind of created a learning experience platform what types of capabilities you know is it an LMS is it an LMS on steroids is it you know, a full-blown LXP with open connectors into other things, where does it fall on that scale? Because it is confusing when people say, you know, we have an, a learning experience platform. So maybe Tom, from a product standpoint, or Dean, maybe if you want to start with kind of this is what our vision was for it, and then Tom, how does that actually play out? 
Yeah, well, we didn't set to, we didn't really set out to be in the LMS business. As it turns out, we built an LMS because that's what our clients needed. They okay. needed a, a way to manage this large library of content, deliver it for both assigned learning and self-discovered or self-directed learning. And so over time, over the last 20 years, we just sort of evolved our platform uh, into, um, you know, the version. We have basically two flavors of it today. So there is this LXP, which is really for those clients that just want to have, you know, they want to serve up a modern learning solution that looks like what people are consuming in their daily lives, uh, where they can find the content that they need when they need it and, and not be, you know, with not all of the bells and whistles of you know, managing instructor-led training and doing all these certifications and everything else. Then, of course, we have our LMS, which is designed for those organizations that do want to have that more formal uh, learning administration. Um, so that's, you know, from a high level, again, we never really set out to be an LMS company. We actually are one today, not because we intended. Um, we're kind of the accidental tourist here in this in this market. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think in a very similar way, we're, we're, we're kind of an accidental tourist in the LXP market okay. uh, in that we, we built an LMS because that's what we needed to do and that's what how we needed to deliver content. And coming from a place where we had these thousands of courses, you know, and, and trying to drive people to relevant content as quickly as possible, you know, I think we were very much ahead of the game from a cataloging standpoint, from a metadata standpoint, from having a consumer-grade catalog for learning in an organization that a lot of organizations with, you know, a lot of enterprise platform LMSs just, just aren't at, you know, they, they haven't been there. And I, I think we've come, a, we were a little bit ahead of the game on that. And I think we're kind of accidentally a tourist in the LXP market. You know, it's not that we're, we're, we have open connectors to all these different providers. In fact, you know, I mean, a solution like the greed or something is, is awesome. Um, if you have time to, to curate and to take the time to go find it. And I think what we provide is, you know, a consumer-grade catalog that can lay on top of any platform or any system that really, you know, makes it very quick and easy for them to deliver the content, to search for and find content. Um, and as an aggregator and a producer, we're actually doing a lot of that curation for them. So it's kind of making the job a little bit easier. Okay. Got it. And and that's where, um, you know, on that, well, so I kind of want to ask a follow-up question to that. In terms of consumer behavior, I'm just really curious, you know, you have a lot of this data you've got when, when you're one of the library, content libraries, you're seeing what consumer behavior looks like and how people are actually interacting. What are you seeing from a consumer behavior standpoint? Are they, you know, are they going to the, the LMS, the LXP? Are they, you know, finding it through different channels? How, how are you seeing consumer behavior either maintain or change maybe even with the current situation? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the consumer behavior in our client base a lot of times is driven by the organization they're a part of, I think. Um, you know, people do what they've done and organizations do what they've done. And so part of our client success model is really helping to, you know, model that consumer behavior in the organization. When people come in there, they're asking for something new. You know, it's, it's coaching them through, hey, let's go in here and find it. Um, and so I think there's a certain aspect of kind of organizational tendency that people have. And so we're, we're working to help, you know, once a learner, they might go out, you might go look on Google for something, you know, Dean mentions tying a bow tie, you know, I might go out and try to find a, a video yeah. tying a bow tie. Maybe I need to do something in Excel and maybe, maybe my behavior is that, but when I come and ask for something, you know, I, I need to be redirected into that destination of learning so that I know where to go and, and, and can come back there. And I find 
in the past, when content was two hours long and painful, it was, oh gosh, I have to do this. I'm not going to do anything on my own. But when it's five minutes and it's video driven and it's quick and easy, you know, I think once people realize that, they come back for more. Okay. And, you know, I would say the only thing I would add to that is, you know, we have a lot of data. We have millions and millions and millions of learner, uh, you know, examples or learner interactions every day with our content. And so what we've seen over the last five or 10 years has really been interesting in the sense that five years ago, probably about 60% or 70% of the content that was consumed in our platform was assigned to an employee by a manager or an administrator. Today, it's that has been flipped. So now we're seeing 60 to 70% of the content that's being consumed is, is on-demand learning, but that the employee is going out and finding information when they need it uh, and, and seeking that information out. So the, and, and interestingly, we're not seeing less aligned, uh, assigned learning. So it's just that there's so much more of this self-directed learning that's going on inside organizations um, in our in our ecosystem, at least. And so that's something that we pay a lot of attention to is the data um, in terms of what types of content are people uh, choosing um, and how do we put content, the most relevant, you know, highest quality content in front of learners so that they they want to continue to engage in that content. We are we are finding that they're choosing shorter content. Uh, they, they don't necessarily like quizzes. Um, uh, and so um, if there are, we have, we, you know, in our format, we have, we have content that has, you know, that's all, most of our content is video based, some is e-learning, but primarily it's video based and most of it's shorter, but some have quizzes, some don't. It's really based on, you know, the instructional designers for that program. In some cases, we don't need a quiz, you know, we need them to experience something and learn from it. Um, and they don't need to tell us, you know, regurgitate back the three things that they learned in that lesson. Um, and that's, again, another place where, where I would argue that reinforcement is probably more important than that test or quiz. Right. Uh, so that's if I, I want to go next, <laughs> you an email, I'll just get a little bit ahead of you. Then maybe <laughs> if you take this five minute video lesson without a quiz and then next week you get a question about it. That, and, and that challenges your recall of that information or ask you how you've been able to apply that on the job, that's in many cases more valuable than the, the post-training quiz or assessment in my view. And our clients definitely uh, agree with that assessment. Okay. Well, perfect. That, that's actually the perfect lead into it. The one question I was going to ask before I go too far, and if if you don't have it off the top of your head, but I was curious. So that that answer, Dean, really helps me understand what you're seeing from a consumer behavior, right? Is it's not that there's less assignments, but there is a growth in pull, right? So that that validates the trend that people are hungry for development. People are looking to do this stuff. There is a demand for, for what we're trying to do here. It's just a matter of us being able to meet that. I am curious if you've seen just at a high level you know, are are you seeing trends in terms of what are the things that people are gravitating towards in terms of subjects or things like that, or is it is it pretty different depending on the client? Well, I think it's a lot of it is you know personal and professional development topics like communicating. Um, I have I have to I have to deliver a difficult message to an employee. I don't I I I want to do that in a way that's productive. Right? I don't want to I don't want to mess this up. And so I'm, and I have this conversation, this, this meeting schedule for this afternoon. So I need, let, let me go watch this five minute or seven minute lesson and pick up a tip or two that I can use. 
Um, so uh, there's a lot of that in the moment of need kind of learning, but also on a personal development basis, it's just, you know, managing my stress. Uh, you know, right now we're seeing a lot of, of, of mental health and, and uh, wellness type of, of topics that are being popular. Wellness is an, an area that kind of snuck up on us, honestly. We, wow. we didn't quite uh, see that coming in, as strongly as it has. Um, there are some other weird topics, like cybersecurity is another topic that people are really concerned about. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm getting hacked here, and I don't know how to stop that from happening, whether it's at home or at, in the office. Okay. Well, that speaks to, I mean, if you think about it, it does speak to one, it's relevant, especially from a time standpoint. I think the the mental health thing popped up. It probably was there. I think what, what, I've, what I'm finding with COVID-19 and this whole situation is a lot of these things that are popping up, it's not that they weren't there before. They maybe were just repressed because of everything else. And now that this has kind of pushed things to a breaking point, the stuff is is rocketing to the surface. But the cybersecurity one, that's, that's interesting. I think there is becoming a growing awareness of what technology is and people are starting to realize how much of themselves they're pouring into their tech and not necessarily like what happens if somebody actually got a hold of my, my stuff. And there, there probably is. I, that's interesting that there's a growing uh, interest across the board in that space. Yeah. So on the retention piece, this I, I'm really curious about this one because that is I'm completely aligned with you, Dean. Right? You throw you throw a quiz at the end of a course, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily really tell us a whole lot because okay, so you've put something in your short term memory long enough to go through the quiz, and even if you fail, you just retake the quiz and then you move on. It's that okay? How do you actually make this stick? Now I'm how does that how does that work? And and Tom, maybe you can kind of answer from a technical standpoint. Is that something along with Every course is a user. Do I have the ability to kind of control what things we want to push retention? Because obviously, if every time I t watch a video, I start getting hit with emails asking me something later, I'm not going to want to go take a. I'm not going to want to go watch a video again because my inbox is going to be flooded. But how do how do you control that? And what is it? You mentioned email. Tell me a little bit more about the it's Booster Learn, right? Is that what you're calling it? Yeah, um, Booster Learn. So you know we have. Um, you know, to Dean's point, I think, you know, you have the quiz, whether that's, whether you have a quiz or not, you know, you're testing for competence and competence, you know, yes, I've, I've, you know, gathered or remember and can recall this information, but Booster Learn, it is a series of emails. And so, you know, for instance, on a five minute video, you might be looking at, you know, an email on day one, day three, day seven. Uh, we have roughly, I'm going to say, I think about half of our library, maybe about 4,400 titles that have pre-built, predefined learning reinforcement tracks. Okay. And so, you know, we do provide some control for administrators, um, you know, in our platform, they can turn on boosts uh, and, and you'll require them for, for instance, assigned training uh, and allow it as an opt-in option for, you know, self-directed learning. So a learner does have the ability to kind of control what they get there. Um, but, but, you know, it's not really around competence. You know, it's a series of those questions or more thoughtful questions around, you know, the, the specific, um, you know, the specific information somebody's learned, the context and application of those those new skills. You know, some of them are going to be thought questions, um, but but they're really just geared around forced recall events to help drive that longer term reinforcement. You know, it's based off the forgetting curve, which I'm sure I'm sure you've you've heard, and and I know a lot of folks uh, have. You know, 
the the latest buzz from the 1800s. Um, but uh, but but it is it's it's old research. But I mean, we all know you lose it. You know, if you took an eight hour Excel course and have to recall how to do a V lookup later on in the year, you know, it's just not going to work. I'm not going to remember it next week. Right. So so five minutes of content, you know, with these little short boosts afterwards, I, I think you really force those recall events and, and help drive longer term reinforcement. Uh, from that, it is. It's a series of emails, and a learner can choose to take part or not. Okay. Okay. So with that, I, I just out of curiosity, because you talked about this a little bit, but I, I want to dig in a little bit more on it. So let's say just let's let's do a use case one, right? It's a, it's some sort of like communicating communication skills. Are the emails then specifically tailored to like? wrote memorization recall data from the video or is it more hey okay you watch this thing in application of this it's it's actually asking you kind of almost a reflection or thoughtful question about hey have you thought about how to apply this and if so you know what does that look like where where does it fall on that or is it a mix of both i can answer that it's a it's a mix um and the science on this is is actually fairly clear the neuroscience so you we spread out these these boosts over these reinforcement boosters over the course of maybe two weeks okay and the, the timing is actually kind of important but also the difficulty of the question like you said you might start with a simple recall question a week later or a day or a day or two later but then you very quickly get into more thoughtful questions where they have to you know like if i'm taking a, a course on active listening for example um i get a question about how could how did i apply that information in my daily interactions with my with a with a, a staff member or a client, okay. and so it by engaging them in that level, we're going to help them, you know, convert that short-term memory into a, a you know something that's that's there for them when they need it, you know, because the fact of the matter is, is the timely, you know, the fact that I take an active listening course, I may need to learn, I need, may need to do that three weeks from now. And so, as you said, you might not remember it. The forgetting curve says you probably won't remember it in 24 hours. Right. And so the idea that we space this out over time and we kind of increase the difficulty of the recall, um, whether it's a poll question, whether it's a, a thought question, whether it's, you know, some other piece of additional information, potentially, um, we're, we're forcing them to remember this over time. It's sort of like, you know, learning someone's name. Uh, yeah. You know, if you there's a theory that if you keep you know, repeating their name back to them over the course of time, it, it'll be imprinted in your memory banks then. I will never forget Pichet. So I won't, I, you know, right? I see there, even at the end of the show, the forgetting curve didn't kick in. <laughs> so well, we'll back to you in 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, so two follow-up questions on that, or maybe just one is, you, know, you talked about the customization side for content with that, with that, you mentioned there's a lot of prefab stuff for a lot of the content, which is great. So instead of having to come up with this stuff all on your own, but then do you have the ability to customize or tailor what those boosts look like as an organization? Or is it kind of, hey, we've defined this is what it is for the content? Yeah, you know, I mean, we have a platform um, also that allows people to build out their own custom boosts and programs. And so, um, you know, right now, of course, the application, a lot of it, a lot of it is the value of having it pre-built in the off-the-shelf yeah. content. But for folks who are developing their own content, delivering classroom or other types of learning, you know, they can uh, they can use the platform to create their own and, uh, you know, within, uh, within, within our, our platform. So within the tool, you can actually then create if you, and again, I think this goes back to that maturity curve for an L&D organization on the inside. Some people are just getting into this space 
and the thought of I have to do content, I have to have a marketing strategy, I have to do this, and I have to create boosts can just feel like I don't even know where to start, so I'm just not going to do anything. So it's there for you. But for those more mature organizations that may say, hey, we've, we've now gotten comfortable, we may be running a campaign around a certain topic, and we maybe really want to reinforce our our corporate culture and how it relates to these topics. You could, in theory, create your own boosts to kind of support that. Absolutely, that would be an option for customization. So you'd, you know, on the same, you know, you could create your own custom booster, you know, reinforcement program. Okay, got it. Well, we are. We I told you we would run out of time, so we're we're at the top of the hour. The last question I have for you, right, as the as the grandfather of of this this you know concept and stuff, I'm curious if you have any predictions or things where what you're seeing with consumer behavior or what you're seeing from a technology standpoint that you're seeing that you're and you don't have to give away your secret sauce in terms of where you're going, but any high level predictions of of what you're going to see in the next few years in terms of how what people are going to expect and how you'll be meeting that. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give I'll probably give away our entire roadmap here, but I would say that what we've in talking to all of our clients, we're seeing a couple of really undeniable trends. First of all, with with COVID nineteen, what we're seeing is that you know there, there will be more remote workers, um, and and online learning will be more and more important. Even for the you know for those organizations that are already doing it, they're doing more of it. For those that haven't started yet, they're going to start. They're going to be you know that's just going to be the price of admission. Is the digital learning strategy and 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 program is going to be needed. Um, in terms of what we think going forward is going to be really important, we also think um, upskilling and reskilling a workforce because uh, you know the 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 um, I guess the, the the shelf life of skills is really shortening. Uh, and so we think mapping content to specific skill-based programs is really going to be important. Um, and we also think social learning and coaching uh, is really an important part of this, particularly as we start to work more in this remote environment where we don't necessarily, we're not able to just, you know, turn around and, and to speak to someone or, or walk over into their office and ask them a, a quick question. Having a platform that can facilitate social uh, learning and coaching where I can find the expert in my organization on a certain topic. Um, so I would say skills, you know, uh, really helping people build skills uh, for the future is, you know, for their current job as well as for any future jobs that they may need within the organization is going to be critical for organizations that are looking to, you know, retain the best talent that they have. Um, and then also uh, being able to coach and uh, learn from peers as well as, uh, you know, experts when the, within the organization. All right. Well, I have to say, I, I we talked about this a little before we went live, and I think there's a lot of people right now that are that are heads down, they're fighting fires, that are just trying to figure out how to navigate where this is. But I'm with you that on the other side of this, you know, if, if digital learning wasn't part of just your lifeblood, right, and you didn't have a clear strategy for how you were doing it, it's going to become an expectation. It's not going to be a nice to have that, you know, hopefully we'll get to it someday. It's going to become a, you're, you're going to have to lead with that. So I think it's a, it's an opportunity area for our entire industry. Well, this has been fantastic. Tom, Dean, I'm really glad you were able to join me today. Great conversation. Hopefully everybody got what they wanted out of it. I love being able to just really dig into what biz library is and, and kind of demystify all the components of it. Cause it really does hit on, you know, what a lot of people would say, you have to go get multiple platforms to do this. You're really hitting on 
all of those through through one. And I, I never say it's the panacea because, hey, there's different circumstances everywhere, but it definitely does solve multiple problems. So thanks for being here. Thanks for the transparency and the conversation. This was fantastic. Thank all right. You. Well, you have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody, for watching, and we will see you next week.